I'm Hannah Spear. Before we jump in, please like and subscribe. It's really important to help me against the algorithms. It's easy, it's free, so consider doing that. Today, I'm joined by a really special guest. His name is Graham Linnan. He is the most high-profile cancelled person at this moment. He wrote Father Ted, The IT Crowd, Black Books, and he spent the last few years authoring his memoirs, Tough Crowd, which we'll be talking about today, as well as cancel culture and the importance of comedy in our society. Hi, Graham. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, Hannah. Lovely to be here. So I read your book, Tough Crowd, which made me laugh and cry and and think yeah i laughed so hard that uh, that my husband was <laughs> was like why are you laughing so hard at, an, at another man's joke <laughs> it got a bit uncomfortable oh that's great <laughs> sorry about that he's, he's, a, he's a big fan too. um uh, yeah quick recap about five years ago uh, you started tweeting uh, against radical trans activists standing up for uh, women's rights women's spaces how dare you and uh, defending kids who are exposed to trans surgeries and hormones and uh, since then they've just i mean they've just erased you it's it's just uh, incredible to to watch he's been harassed and bullied by pink news and and other major news media outlets they dragged your family through the through the mud and uh, held your musical father ted hostage and uh, i'm just curious to have your take on well what it, what i would think is is therapy for the masses comedy I would, what i'm really concerned with why i'm doing this is what's going on with people in therapy, uh, our mental health crisis, and what I see, uh, what sort of advice people are getting. And I just wondered what your thoughts are on those parallels. Is there, is there, is there a link, what's going on with people in therapy, why they spend years and are not getting better, and um, what's happening to comedy in our culture? Gosh, that's, that's a very complicated question. Yeah, I, I do think there's a link between a lot of these things. I think there, I think uh, the trans movement, which has uh, taken over therapy, as you know, uh, along with uh, various other fields, um, is profoundly nihilistic. You know, uh, my friend Richie Tulip, who is a detransitioner, he says that he calls it a death cult. You know, and you see that echoed in a lot of the language they use. Like, you know, your born name is your dead name. And uh, there's the threats of suicide are, are um, prevalent in the, in the movement. Um, so, yeah, I do think that there's probably a link from that to a wider feeling of unease. Um, and I know I was just talking to someone this morning about it who, who was profoundly depressed because he's recently discovered what's going on and he's really and we, 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 I, in the UK there was uh, an incident yesterday where uh, Rishi Sunak the Prime Minister made a comment about the Labour leader Keir Starmer not knowing what a woman was and that has been uh, very effectively certainly in the short term uh, twisted into a uh, uh, Sunak not being appropriately um, uh, respectful to the parents of a murdered trans uh, trans identified teenager who was who were in the audience, um, and it's a lie. It's a, it's like a it's a complete lie. It's uh, 
is what they call the dead cat. They threw a dead cat on the table. And it seems to me that it was a very, very cynical and deliberate move by, um, by Labour to put the extremely important question of, of whether Keir Starmer believes women exist and their rights exist as a result, uh, to put that outside the uh, boundaries of, of civilised discussion. So they're basically saying that the very question, what is a woman, is in itself transphobic. So transphobic that you can't say it when there's parents of a trans teenager in the audience. And this is absolute nonsense. And of course, you know, it, it all reflects a world turned upside down. You know, I mean, my, my one of my reasons for getting into this, it wasn't just what was happening to women, but as a writer, um, words are very important to me. It's very important they mean things. And there's no, there's few words more fundamental than the word woman and mother. And yet we're being told that these words are no longer inclusive. These words are no longer, uh, uh, again, they're trying to place words like woman outside polite discourse. So um, to anyone, you know, who is not as cynical as uh, Keir Starmer or um, the many trans activists he has in his party, this is a profoundly distressing thing. You know, it, 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 it destabilizes you completely because you're being, you're being, it's, you're, they are insisting that we say something that we know not to be true. You know, they're insisting that we say that men are, some men are women. They're insisting that we say that the word woman is somehow offensive, um, that mother is somehow offensive. Uh, and yeah, I think that these things can make you distraught and they certainly make comedy harder because, because every comedy now has to ignore this very real thing that's happening. Uh, just has to pretend it doesn't exist. And so one, one reason that comedy is useful is that it allows you to process things that otherwise would make you kind of depressed, you know? It puts it through a filter that allows you to deal with it, you know, almost like a dream, I think, you know? Um, and a lot of the best comedy, I think, comes from the subconscious, you know? The funniest stuff is always the stuff that you don't think about in a logical way. It just kind of, it, it actually lands in your imagination and surprises you so much that you laugh. Um, and, uh, yeah, all this is being blocked. All these kind of natural instincts, these natural um uh, functions of comedy and the imagination and truth are all being manipulated by some of the most cynical people on earth. You know, so um, I don't know if the, I don't know if that answers your question, but I but I yeah I hope it comes. Yeah, across. no, it's it's, <laughs> it's interesting that you say uh, words because that that's that's what I try to. I mean, in 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 psychotherapy, that's or in psychiatry the, uh, where, where I work, that's the only thing we have. We don't have x-rays, MRIs, you know, we can't do blood tests. Ah, oh, this is what you have. We we have words. We put our diagnosis, our, uh, just, we just use words. And the, when that's controlled, that can really, it just inhibits the process, the the whole, we, we are then debilitated. And so that's why I thought, yeah. okay, there's an interesting um, parallel here. Well, there's two, there's two, uh, things we can talk about as well that, that 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 kind of bear this out 
The first is um, George Orwell uh, in 1984, which famously described what happens to um, to humanity when certain words are removed from the dictionary. There's one character he meets in that book whose mm-hmm. job it is is to remove certain words because if you if you remove the words for certain things, you remove the ability to think mm-hmm. about them, and um, and that's what's going on, I think, with the the attempts to remove words like mother and woman. Um, they're trying to make uh, women into a, into such an ins, insubstantial idea that they can't even be discussed, unless, of course, you're including men mm-hmm. in the discussion. Because that was your initial tweet, so wasn't it? it? I, um, men aren't women, though. Was that the first thing that yeah, got you into trouble? Yeah. It wasn't the first thing, but it was like the moment Twitter uh, used, took advantage of to get rid of me. It fell on, I said it on one of these endless trans days of awareness, of of which which there seems to be one every day. And uh, they used that as the excuse to kick me off, you know. So, and I'm still throttled by Twitter. And so is Kelly J. Keane and many other uh, feminist uh, or feminist allies. and uh, yeah, it's just even Elon Musk doesn't seem to think it's an important enough issue uh, to get our voices back uh, properly. Really, what has he? So, wh- wh- what has he done? Well, he's been great in getting people back, but uh, you can't. If whenever you um, try and protest the shadow banning, like when people search for my name, for instance, um, all my impersonator accounts come mm-hmm. up first. And uh, no one can yeah. find me. <laughs> Even people who follow me don't see my tweets. So it's um, he, he just doesn't seem to see it as an issue, you know. And I think that that's something that a lot of conservatives or, or what you might call right-leaning voices have in common. They'll certainly pay lip service to this issue, but they don't actually... They're just like the left in that they don't think it's that serious, you know. They don't realize how grave this attack on our language and our and the women in our lives is, mm. you know. Being active all the time and incorporating that into your everyday life is easier said than done. For me, it really helped when I found Pitch Fitness Center, a premium wellness gym. It's not just your run-of-the-mill fitness center with white walls and vinyl floor smells like a school gym. This place really gives you that hotel spa feeling. And the best thing as a mom is that it has this kids club, which is amazing. My kids really like to go there. We go every day, even on Sundays. It's so good that even when I'm too lazy to work out my kids force me to go anyway and then i go to the wellness area they even have a steam bath a bio sauna a finished sauna and a quiet room where you can lie down i usually fall asleep a little bit and afterwards i feel so pampered and my kids have had the time of their lives so please go and check it out the link is in the description and you can give them a promo code it's what should i tell my daughter and you'll get a discount So you mentioned that that you need comedy. Can we can we talk about that and how that has uh, has helped you? You speak about that in your book. I don't know. It's it's it's. I I realized quite early on I could make people laugh, and I think it was because I read a lot of Woody Allen, Woody Allen's essays when I was younger, and he was a very funny essay writer, especially at the time when I was reading it. You know, 
probably a little dated now. Uh, but at the time, the uh, again, the surprise of, of the way he would begin a sentence and the way he would end it, just I just found really delightful. And, um, and I just kind of, I don't know, I, I went through a period where I was uh, doing debates in school and I would just rip off his material uh, uh, shame, shamelessly because I was so nervous uh, and I was so distrustful of myself that... Uh, of my own sense of humor, that I would only occasionally use my own jokes. But, but, but that was a good thing to do, I think, because it got me into the rhythms of his, of comedy writing. It kind of, um, I guess it's similar to when, you know, an artist might copy an old master to just kind of get a feel for it. Um, And uh, it stuck, it just stuck with me, the ability to make people laugh by, arranging words on the page um it just kind of i just kind of maintained it you know and and then when we when we started writing comedy together me and author um yeah it was just it was it was pure joy you know the 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 feeling of um of being productive of being in a state of flow and continually laughing was uh was yeah it was a lovely way to spend my 20s and 30s you know 30s, it's nice you know? the way that you write about um like th- for you it's about the person laughing it's about getting getting the laugh it's not a, it's not about what goes on in you the way that you speak about humor it's about uh it's rather a gift the way you describe it yes and you just like you wait you want to see the person laugh which is i think it's so it's so nice and then you know i don't think anyone could read that book and then think that you use humor as or comedy as in malicious intent right the way that they 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 say about yes well i i i would say it may have had an element of truth before i was cancelled because i used to believe that conservatives and people on the right were uh evil because I had, without realizing it, uh, absorbed the kind of um, polarized, catastrophic, uh, catastrophizing um, language and, and, and kind of mores of the American left. I didn't realize it was happening to me, but it was definitely happening to me. And I think that's happened to society as a whole. I think, for instance, the trans issue, you know, if, if it hadn't originated from America, if it wasn't being pushed by so many American celebrities and stars, uh, if American social media platforms weren't as powerful as they are, I don't think it would have spread to the extent that it has. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I was kind of influenced by this idea that, that the right and conservatives mm-hmm. were evil. And, and that gave me permission to go after them quite savagely, you know, um, and I believed what I was being told about various figures, um, people like Ben Shapiro and, and, and people like that. <clears throat> I was convinced they were Islamophobes and all this sort of thing. And, and, you know, and then when, when I was canceled, uh, I was so routinely lied about and so, um, completely my reputation completely destroyed by these same people. Um, that I that I looked back at everything and I thought, oh, a lot of what I was believing was nonsense, you know. Um, and now I'm I'm in a state of weird, like some. I yeah, I, I've li- I've literally gone back to sorry, not literally, but I've gone back to ground zero, 
a lot of my opinions because I don't know where I stand on many things because I do know that, uh, you know, the media classes are, are lying to us mm-hmm. all the time. You know, the, the Rishi Sunak uh, comment is, is just one such example. It's been called a transphobic jibe when all he did was ask uh, Starmer a question he refuses to answer, which is what is a woman, you know? So um, they're liars. They're just lying to us. And uh, I guess, I don't know, it's been a, it's been an extremely, um, it, it's, it's not just changed the way I feel about them, but it's changed the way I feel, feel about my entire online life, you know? Like I look back at it and I cringe. The first thing I put when I when I was allowed back on Twitter, the first thing I put in my um, bio was I refuse. Uh, I stand by. Uh, what did I say? I said something like, "I reserve the the right uh, to disagree with anything I said before 2018." You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and 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 really, gosh, you, yeah, you could look through my old tweets and find examples of of quite a savage sense mm-hmm. of humor, but no one minded because I was deploying it against what the British media class had agreed mm-hmm. were the enemy, which, yeah. which was But if it was funny, it has to have had a grain of truth in it, no? Even no matter where it was in the political spectrum. Sure, but maybe it wasn't always funny, you know? Maybe, like, I was, I've always just felt, uh, I don't know, I mean, I've always... Like when I was growing up, I used to, one of the things that got me depressed when I was a kid, I had to go and see the family doctor about this, was the fact that so many people read the Sun newspaper. The what newspaper? And it's called the, the Sun. Sun. Mm, yeah. It's a tabloid, tabloid newspaper mm. in the UK. And uh, I, I can't remember how I, but I, I just happened to see it one day and I was looking through it. And I read a few stories and it seemed to me that it was written in such a simple style. It was almost like it was for children. And I found it so depressing that it was the most well-read newspaper or the most widely read newspaper in the UK. And I got really depressed. I had to go and see a doctor and say, and I and I said to him, you know, it just seems to me that like, how could a newspaper that's written so stupidly, like in such short paragraphs with such, with such basic words, how could that be sell so well? And um, the doctor said, uh, well, most people read it for the football. <laughs> And that just cheered me up. And I was fine after that. You never had to go see one of my kind. No, no, I didn't. My dad nearly, my dad was uh, convinced I was only pretending to be depressed to be like. Pretending, okay. Yeah, but, um, but, uh, but yeah. And I, so I think basically um, uh, the, I, I, I always had a, keen dislike of the right a keen dislike of figures like rupert mm-hmm. murdoch like i once blew a, a a a huge deal to make a version of the it crowd uh in america because it was for rupert murdoch's company i didn't want to be a hypocrite and i was constantly talking online about how i didn't want to have anything to do with them so i i i i blew that one um and uh yeah, that continued, as I say, right up until uh, I was cancelled and I saw the way that the media in the UK groups together to make certain people untouchable, mm. you know. 
So, uh, yeah. yeah. So comedy literally got you out of that depression. You said something funny and it made I you guess, feel better. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you know, and, and, and some of the worst things, you know, I, I often think of the way, um, the way Mel Brooks dealt with the Nazis in, in the producers, you know, he, he recognized that once you've been as, as, as roundly tranced, uh, as the Nazis in history, then they, they, it's, they can become history's punchline, you know, and you can make fun of them all the live long day and no one will be offended because, because they, they, they were so, you know, uh they were so thoroughly right. discredited um uh and uh you know he there's obviously mel brooks is jewish and uh, the holocaust was um uh, a horrific wrenching thing for jewish people but he was able to turn it into one of the most joyous films ever yeah. and a musical yeah. you know yeah. that just again processed all that stuff and, and turned it into something that was the opposite of what it started as. Yeah, and uh, I also thought that that, because uh, yeah, I'm also Jewish, and I thought that's sort of the limit of comedy for me. I would never be able to laugh at any sort of Holocaust joke, nothing. And then I, I and then I saw a Ricky Gervais joke about like Schindler's List and finding it enough was it was just, and I, despite myself, I just I just laughed and I thought, oh, I'm horrible, I'm horrible. I said I thought I'd never laugh at something like this, but the way that he said it, and it's difficult to pinpoint exactly, was it was just so outrageous. And uh, do you think that there are any limits to comedy? Comedy, some, or should there be any limits to comedy? It's an interesting one because the the, the it kind of self polices. Uh, the the limits are are basically the 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 hard the more hardcore a joke gets, the more um, let's say disgusting or transgressive or or uh, uh, insulting or offensive a joke gets the better the joke has mm -hmm. to be. Like if you're going to attack a uh, uh, very, very edgy material, then you really have to know what you're doing because nothing casts a chill over an audience like a bad taste joke that mm -hmm. doesn't work. You know, you can just feel you just lose them. And so whenever you do rude jokes or, or jokes with, uh, with uh, as I say, uh, uh, taboo subjects or whatever it happens to be you really have to know what you're doing and and unfortunately a lot of a lot of younger comedians well i'm not sure if this is true anymore because everyone's terrified of being cancelled but uh in the early days a lot of younger comedians um they thought it was kind of a shortcut to a certain kind of notoriety uh a certain kind of um outlaw status that they could achieve if they covered this sort of material but a lot of them didn't have the ability to do it without you know, turning people off. Ricky Gervais is a is a is a rare example of someone mm. who can do that. Uh, Dave Chappelle is another, but most of them, you know, it, they'd be better advised to just avoid anything like that because they don't have the skills, you know, to um, to disguise it. A Seinfeld writer said, uh, "Laughter is a very strong spice," uh, by which he meant you can have an offensive joke, but you have to make yeah. people laugh. If you, if you can do that, you're fine. But if not, 
you're gonna you really run the risk of alienating the people you're trying to please you know yeah do you think that is it still possible i mean you've done some shows um in the recent in i mean recent yeah you've done you've done uh, some com some stand-up comedy recently no uh, yeah is yes because you said words are being policed it's like we're really in the thick of of this political correctness is it still possible to do comedy what was your what was your take would you dare do a bad taste joke no oh no i do lots of bad taste jokes i mean i'm very <laughs> i as i say i do them if i think i've got a good <clears throat> a good spin on them Uh, I don't do many trans jokes because I don't think because the the subject is kind of self-parodying. It's a lot of it is so silly that that you can't really make fun of it. So my jokes are generally about everyday life, you know, and just things that occur to me when I'm watching Netflix or or you know out out on a walk. Um, uh, you know, I'm not really. I've never been one. Father Ted. For instance, we could have done every episode. We could have had loads of jokes about the, the, the child abuse scandal in the Catholic Church. But we never wanted to because, I don't know, there were a bunch of reasons. But but one of them was that they, it just wasn't our priests. We didn't want our priests to have anything to do with that. Jack kind mm -hmm. of did, but but, uh, uh, but that became less important as time went on. Um And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, my my it's kind of hilarious that I've been cancelled because my tastes have always been to the light and the whimsical and trying to like I like one of the rules I have. I have a rule, right? But it's not a rule as such, but I think it's nice when you can make this happen. It's like you make people think something is dirty and then you reveal that it's actually very okay. innocent. That for me, that for me is very, very funny. I saw a video with uh With these two guys, a band called Faux Real, who are just brilliant. And they're two guys, and they, they're so funny. They're so funny. You know, like they'll be facing each other, and then one disappears below the camera. And you think, well, uh oh, you know, but then it cuts wide, and he's opening a little <laughs> jewelry box <laughs> for him. You know, I love things like that. It's so innocent and sweet, and, it, and it's disarming. Um, And yeah, I just, I just, that's my favorite thing. I'm not really a fan of pushing the audience's buttons. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. Because, yeah. Because again, as I say, you can, you can put mm -hmm. them on edge and, and make, and people on edge sometimes find yeah. it harder yeah. to laugh. I think that's why Father Ted and, and the IT crowd were so popular. It was sort of like family. It was, it was nice. You wanted to follow them. You didn't, you know, you weren't made to feel uncomfortable the entire time. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it's definitely not cringe comedy, which I which I think got pretty yeah. big for a while. Have you laughed at anything uh, the yeah. past three years? <laughs> ah, that's a good question. Um, there's been very little. Uh, I guess the only thing that sometimes really hits the spot for me is is Curb Your Enthusiasm, or um, mm. uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia when it's when it's good, South Park when it's good. I don't find things um, consistently good, I really. I follow something, maybe one one episode makes me laugh, the first one, and then it just... That's it. I think there's too many episodes. I think I think they they have runs of something like 25 episodes, so of course some of them aren't going to be very good. But um, but then they do something like the one where they... Uh, uh, they <laughs> uh, they they do a Lord of the Rings parody, uh, 
which about a, a pornographic video that they have to destroy. They have to take this <laughs> pornographic video and destroy it. it. Yeah, it's so funny. It, it was South Park and Butters see, sees the Butters sees the pornographic video and uh, and turns and yeah. it to Gollum. He becomes kind of obsessed with it and stuff. It's very, very funny. Um, and again, you know, it kind of takes something that starts off in a rude place and turns it into something that's quite innocent, you know. So, uh, yeah, anyway, I love it. I, th th those, are the, those are the bright spots. But I have to say, I haven't seen very many new comedies, certainly not in Britain. Uh, and I think there's a reason for that. I think people are terrified of saying the wrong thing. I think no one knows what the rules are anymore. So it's very hard to get a comedy out that uh, avoids all the tripwires, mm -hmm. you know. You certainly wouldn't be able to do something like Brass Eye, yeah. you know, which was, which uh, was a, a UK show that was really groundbreaking. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what. What about this um, this concept of punching up? No, yeah, I don't. I don't believe that at all. I think that the punching up is 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 said usually by bad mm. comedians who are who do not want to punch <laughs> anywhere. Because they are, because you know they're 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 frightened of offending. They're, you know, my feeling is that comedy should reflect the world, you know, and that means punching in every direction, you know, up, down, left, right, you know. I always saw The Simpsons like that. The Simpsons was definitely its writers probably had a left wing uh, lean, but. They never let that in the show. The show was always a hilarious debate between opposing sides. Um, my favorite one was where there were two planes flying next to each other and they fire a rocket and the first one plane fires a rocket and it just turns around and shoots the other plane out of the sky, which explodes both planes. And then it cuts to the two guys parachuting down and one says to the other, this is what happens when you take money out of the military and put it in school. <laughs> and the other one says, it's a good program, just give it a chance. And and then both their parachutes spontaneously catch on fire and they fall to their deaths. <laughs> to me, that's perfect satire because it's like, it, it's taking both arguments, it's pitching them against each other, and then it pulls off a punchline that you could never expect. And so, you know, and, and then also, you know, there's there's, like for instance you, you take apu in um in the simpsons apu was never punching down apu was was uh was the indian yeah. everyman in the same way that 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 uh homer was the american in everyman and people just decided it was offensive because suddenly it's offensive to make fun of anyone who's not white and male and blah 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 so uh, it, it was actually just a reflection of a certain kind of comedy put through this, um, something that would have been very familiar to Americans at the time, which was, uh, you know, people for whom English wasn't their first language running these convenience stores. So the idea that it was, you know, but, but I think actually that, that, that would, there was a bigger problem with The Simpsons, which is just it went yeah. on too long. And after a while, if you're repeating the same accents, it does begin to sound a little bit, you know, Suspect. Yeah. <laughs>
This episode is also sponsored by Violet Nails, where I've been going to for years. It has a bunch of things from eyebrows and massages, mani-pedis, and it's all, the result is always so smooth and elegant. And the, the best thing, I think, is that the treatment never lasts longer than planned, which is important when you have places to go and kids and all of that. You can sit in a massage chair while you get your treatment and listen to music. It's a really good time out. So go to the link below and check it out. Um, so what do you think is going to happen to us as a society when we no longer have comedy, when we don't have things to laugh at together? I heard an interesting take on, um, on what happens, um, um, when we laugh together, that it creates bonds. And, mm. and so that's a, the, the Nazis, they disallowed, uh, comedy because they didn't want us mm. to laugh together and that we would bond across races. And I thought that was yeah, just yeah, so yeah. interesting. What do you think about that? And, you know. Yeah, I think it's great. I mean, I, I noticed that um, some of the more popular comedians these days are comedians who are directly addressing racial differences, who are directly addressing the difference between the sexes um, or the trans issue or whatever it happens to be. And, you know, their audiences are full of, their, their audiences are actually diverse. Like there's a guy, I'm not sure, he's not my favorite comedian, but uh, I think his name is Andrew yeah. Schultz. Um, yeah, you know, Andrew Schultz. And, uh, you know, he he gets up and he, he speaks to people in the audience. And, you know, he's very, very knowledgeable about uh, where people are from. Like if he finds out that someone is from, you know, a different continent, he'll know where, he'll know what the... He'll know what the tensions are in the area, and he will use that to make jokes. And you can see that the, pe the people he's joking about love it. They love it, you know, because it's coming from a place mm -hmm. of knowledge. You know, it's not coming from a place of prejudice. There are differences between groups of people, between sexes, between races, and he's just pointing them out. And people love it, you know, because, because they don't want to be lied to. That's the thing they, they really object to. They don't want to be lied to. And so um, it, it's kind of refreshing. I think that these, these, this group, the um, Andrew Schultz and all the people kind of around Joe Rogan, that, that lot, they just seem to have a handle on it. And um, yeah, they kind of give me hope, yeah. you know, they give me hope for the future. Yeah. What's going yeah, on definitely. with you at the moment? What do you, yeah. Well, I'm off to Australia and New Zealand in, a, in at the start of March to uh, promote the book and to do a few comedy mm -hmm. writing classes. Um, and then uh, I'm hopefully working on a new project. We've got something on the go. Uh, it seems to be going very well. I don't. I can't say much about it in case people try to uh, mm -hmm. disrupt it. But uh, but yeah, it's looking it's looking good, and I'm writing comedy for the first time in a long That's time. That's so good. That's really good. The response to yeah. a tough crowd's been what you what you hoped. Yeah, it's been great. You know, like uh, the people who actually read it seem to like it. Um, so yeah, we we we're on our third printing, and uh, uh, yeah, just gonna keep going and 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 you know, see if it mm. keeps doing well. And is anyone speaking up for you yet? Yeah, various people. I mean, uh, I had a lovely meeting last night with someone who's very close to 
a big story that's happening soon. And, uh, you know, they, they had an embargo on the story and they were saying that I was one of the, one of the few people they were telling, you know, and it was, it, that's very flattering. And, and, and I'm delighted to be trusted by, by people who are really doing mm. some good work. Um, but no one in no one in the celebrity world, none, none of my former friends have ever stood up for me. You know, they just kind of watched me uh, disintegrate. You know, yeah, lose everything for about five years. Awful. Yeah, yeah. They watched me. Yeah. So it's like, but then I think that that is something that apparently you see in every field. Brett Weinstein, when he was being, you know. Uh, uh, hounded at evergreen college his his fellow professors that, just, yeah. just looked the other way those, yeah. those clips and, are uh, terrifying you know, those clips are sorry, terrifying is, those clips from yes. from evergreen college and uh i mean what happened to him I, absolutely terrifying yes <sighs> they, they really are and uh but like you know the, the the people who are coming after me they weren't as terrifying as those those evergreen students, but they still, they still managed to silence all my friends. You know, my friends just have never said a word in my defense. No. You know? How did you make it through? So with difficulty, you know, with new friends who uh, stood up for me. Um, you know, actually, Stella O'Malley was was just a, a rock for me during some of the worst stuff. Uh, she's yeah, I'm having her on here. later on this yeah. month. Yeah. Yeah. She, she's probably, she saved, she's probably saved my life mm -hmm. a few times. Um, and you know, the whole, I mean, I do say that even though, uh, you know, I lost a lot of fair weather friends in, from the media, mm -hmm. I did gain a lot of, uh, friends from different walks of life. And so I kind of expanded my, my, uh, uh, what, what would you call it? I, I got a kind of, um, my life was, uh, beforehand, I only knew mm. people in the media, you know, and now I know no one in the media, and I, but I know all sorts of people outside of it. I know, you know, police women and social workers and therapists and, and lawyers and all sorts of different people. So it's been, for as a writer, it's actually been very good because it's kind of widened my horizons, yeah. Yes. And so, um, and so, yeah, I'm hoping that I can now use it, use yeah. all that <laughs> extra knowledge I have now, uh, in writing something. New. Yeah. But I mean, the best comedy comes out of, of, out of tragedy. No one will have to use an absolute tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. And well, you know, it is, yeah. And it's, and that can be mm. very funny, you know, like if you, if you, if you really, I mean, we used to, when we were writing father Ted, Arthur and I used to say, we'd be writing something, we'd just, we'd be shaking our heads laughing and just keep, and we kept saying, poor Ted, <laughs> poor Ted. We, we were doing yeah. it to him, we were doing it to him. But like, but like, even though we were doing it to him, it felt like it was just happening naturally, that he was just very yeah. unlucky. And, and, and that really made us laugh. So, so yeah, so a character who's going through something like what I went through, um, it could be funny if it's done in the right way, definitely. And, and and I think it'll make me feel a lot better if I'm able to uh, turn it into comedy. Yeah, yeah, I'm quite worried about what because it doesn't seem to let up. It doesn't seem to be getting better, at least from where from where I'm sitting. And I just see that you know that that 
yeah, people are just getting sicker and sicker and therapists worse and worse because they are just affirming people's fragility. That's uh, that's what I mm. protest, that they aren't actually trying to build resilience. Uh, they're just sort of, yeah, wrapping people in bubble wrap. There's no better metaphor uh, for yeah. it and that we're not even getting... Um, um, resistance from people who are supposed to say the most outrageous things. People are who are who like you who are really supposed to challenge us. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just an extreme. The idea that you know, I mean, the idea has taken hold that words are violence, mm -hmm. which is the most absurd um, uh, uh, thing, and it's leading to. Yeah, as you say, an extremely fragile uh, uh, generation who, who God knows how they'll be able to deal with life and when they, they hit don't. their forties. They're not. You know? That's yeah. That's uh, yeah. there aren't enough psychiatrists in the world. Really, is it that bad? So you're seeing this kind of reflected now, and people exactly. Clear, that's or... why. That's why I started writing, started doing this because I saw. You know, we always sit in these meetings, the uh, therapist, again, psychiatrist, psychologist, students, everyone, and we talk about our patients. We talk about what we do, and I was just sitting there, like you told them what. <laughs> just it was just, and then I just started writing. It's people, this whole uh, self-esteem movement, and they're buying into all this nonsense and i'm like you're supposed yeah. to be the people who know better like you're supposed to be everyone sitting there you know miserable divorced women and you're supposed to sort of tell people how to be happy I, it was just and i yeah my my, my worst fear yeah. is that my kids will somehow some 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 somewhere down the line get a therapist that's my worst fear that's really... <laughs> like at least i'll be the one to pick them yes 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 absolutely absolutely yeah i mean you know i remember there was a at my kid's school there was a mental health mm. awareness day mm. and it you know it seems to me that if you want to fuck a kid up just make sure they're aware of their mental health yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, so they're just that they're just uh, uh, telling kids to direct more attention and focus focus inwards instead instead of doing some yes. be someone someone to someone right be you know develop exactly. an actual identity instead of sitting in a therapy room and talking about identity. That's absolutely. Absolutely. I think the problem, yeah. and so, yeah. yeah. When I when I read Tough Crowd, that's really got me thinking about that because I was, yeah. At one point, I was like, okay, you were talking about the audience and how important it is, the audience, and I was like, what is really the difference between sitting alone in an audience with the stand-up comedian yeah. and therapy? What do you think? Right, right. Well, I don't know. I think, as you say, the the shared laughter is a really. I mean, I've always shot in front of an audience. Father Ted, IT Crowd, Black Books, all my, all the people, all the shows that people really love were all shot in front of an audience. And uh, I think that there is a, and you know, when I was a kid, I used to go mm -hmm. to church and I, I rejected that. But I, I now wonder whether there is some value to every week going somewhere where you meet all your neighbors and, and you smile mm -hmm. and nod at them and, and everyone feels a sense of togetherness. I think audiences have that magic you know and they can they and and laughing uh together about something is a fantastic thing i i give one example in the book which was uh, when mm. harry met sally um at the nora efron film uh rob reiner and uh and you know when 
when we all went to see that in the cinema, we we saw it wasn't just their wit and their kind of um, I don't know what you, what you, their wisdom that you were responding to. It was the it was the wit the audience mm. was showing in how they were responding mm. to the film, and you suddenly feel less alone. Yeah. you know, you, you you feel like you're part of a community. And that's possibly the most dangerous thing that's happened recently. There's been a we, we're being we're being separated from each other by a, by a series of crazy ideas. You know that comedy, I agree, does something to mend and, and mm. reconnect people. But but a lot of but we're being blocked because you know a bunch of HR managers have said that certain things are off limits. Yeah. You know? Yeah, they say that laughter is the best drug and it does physiologically release dopamine. So it is an actual sure. drug. Uh, we for, we forget that. And now there's something about showing yeah. yourself that you're able to laugh at your worst things. That's the, yeah. Yes, yes. It's it's so important. And And the only comedy that's left is... Well, this is a very old reference, but I, I call it jongleur's comedy. There used to be these comedy clubs all over all over L London and maybe the UK called jongleurs. And, you know, they were where stag nights and hen nights went mm. when they were drunk, uh, where you would see comedy that wasn't really um, challenging you in any way. It was just basically, uh, uh, you know, everybody. I don't know. It was like... It was very mediocre comedy. It was very mediocre. And um, that kind of mediocre comedy, it's the only kind of comedy available mm. at the moment, you know, because uh, because we've been, they've set up these guardrails that give you an electric shock every mm. time you touch them. So you have to stay mm -hmm. within, you have to stay within mm -hmm. them at all times. And as a result, the only people who uh, are thriving at the moment are the most mediocre, middle-of-the-road comedians you yeah. can imagine. And then what do you think of Hannah Gatsby and her ilk and the late-night hosts? And <laughs> Well, I don't want to speak ill of any comedians, but, uh, you know, I, 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 I'll put it this way. I think woke comedy is a contradiction mm. in terms, you know? And the thing about Hannah Gatsby is she's the kind of person who would use the word cis. And I think as soon as you use words like that, then you kind of remove yourself from humanity because no one understands what it means. Everyone has to have it explained every time they hear it. Uh, and it actually doesn't have a relation to anything that's, that's true in real life. So for me, it's, it's kind of like, I don't know. It, yeah. it just what do you mean removed from humanity? Can you go deeper into that? Well, you know, cis is an academic term invented to uh, maintain the lie that uh, there are two types of women, mm. uh, uh, trans women who are men, and cis women. And it's, uh, it's not something that, that bears any relation to what we know to be true. It's, it's, it's a lie. And, uh, and so when people use it and kind of use it as a shorthand for something that actually doesn't exist, because I don't think women are a subcategory of their own sex, um then you know it's just the same as lying to your audience you know yeah. so so yeah. then you won't get laughter you get like what do they call it clapter all just joined and uh, just united in their ideology yes this is the age of <laughs> clapter you know definitely, definitely. okay
That's the okay. Good. I mean, thank you so much. Is yeah, that it? Oh. I would. Just, oh my gosh. Just, okay. Yeah, I'm trying to keep it short and and sweet for the. I mean, you know, I tailor it to women, so we don't do this okay. three-hour Joe Rogan. We don't have that much time. You know, I'm a stay-at-home mom. Right. I just that hear my quite... kids. You know, they're going rah. That's quite. That is quite a masculine thing to do a three-hour podcast. Yeah, That's like, so we true. don't have that kind That's of time. So... <laughs> but yeah, so that's Absolutely. like next up we're doing like diet drugs and then you and then yes. like so uh, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to um you know get the mothers on board because we're the ones who spend the majority of time with the kids, you know. We can build resilience yeah. and expose them to things, you know. Yeah. And of course that's a that's a wonderful way to tap into uh comedy is just in terms of what kids say and what kids do. I saw I saw a hilarious video just yesterday where a woman a woman from Ireland says to her kid, I'm gonna leave you in the bathroom and you can say any rude <laughs> word uh that, that you want when I leave, right? And she leaves the camera on in the bathroom. And and this lovely, cute, adorable little toddler girl, you know, and the door closes, <laughs> she just starts going Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> the funniest thing and then she starts going fuck's sake, fuck's sake. it's it's genuinely hilarious and you know like you know that's the kind of comedy i definitely want to yeah, pursue it's really, funny. <laughs> yeah. it's really funny i'll try and find it yes comedy. please that's uh oh god yeah yeah uh, yeah the mic is because they speak norwegian with me and then english with my husband and some words are you know but and then german in school, yeah. and they'll sort of take a yeah, yeah, yeah. shit in Norwegian just means dirt, like mud. And so they'll be like, right, it's right. just it, and those are just hilarious. And so it's, but it's important to, you know. It's all lovely. And it's part of life, you know, and that's that's what we have to get back to, just comedy that's that's reflects life, you know. Yeah. I do yeah. hope that there's light at the end of the tunnel, that we're sort of making it out. Uh, you think, I think so? so? I think so. <laughs> Is there hope? Yeah, because someone, well, someone told me that that uh, a time of madness usually lasts for about five years. Okay. So I think that's certainly what we've been going through, and I think hopefully some of the uh, un more untenable aspects of this are becoming clearer mm -hmm. to people. You know, sport, sport, for instance, is becoming harder and harder mm -hmm. to ignore. So, uh, and you know, the puberty blockers thing that's going to blow mm -hmm. up soon. So it's all, it's all, I think, I think you never know. I think it's getting a little okay. bit better. From maybe. your lips to God's ears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. But thank you so much. I really enjoyed this. I feel a bit uh, lighter good. at thank heart, you. I have to say. And yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> you too. Excellent. Well, and I wish great. you all the best you in your endeavors. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And if you ever want to talk again, I really just let want me know. that. And your next yeah. book. No, I'd be happy to. Lovely to speak to you, Hannah. Bye bye. <laughs>